uh, open to the book of Acts. <clears throat> we're going to shift gears away from the relevant social media study that we were doing. We did, I think all I can do with that, that's just, uh, that is taxing to watch all of those goofy videos and come up with answers for them. So uh, I would rather just stick to the Bible. Uh, we're going to start a new study this week in the the book of Galatians, but we're going to look at the book of Acts to begin with. Uh, in Acts chapter 14, um, and really we'll back up to chapter 13, verse 49. We're just kind of picking up in the midst of context. This is speaking about Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. In verse 49, it says, And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region, but the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coast. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came into Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews and spake to that that and spake that a great multitude both of Jews and Gentiles and Greeks also believed. So this is introducing us to Paul and Barnabas going into the region of Galatia. And truly that is who the epistle to the Galatians is written to. If you turn over to the book of Galatians it identifies for us in the first three verses, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. So we do epistle studies for a couple of reasons, and most of tonight is going to be somewhat of a monologue and a, a form of introduction and then next week we'll get deeper into the actual epistle. Uh, but the study of an epistle is never, ever a wasted study. It is never a fruitless study. It is always a profitable procedure contained within the epistles and most more specifically within the epistles of Paul are every malady that can befall a church family as well as every blessing that has been granted to the believer and the body of believers. So if we are diligent in our study of the epistles, we will constantly be understanding the difficulties that occur in the walk of the believer and in the body of Christ and the ways that Satan seeks to attack. In the epistles, we are prepared for the attacks of Satan we are prepared for the wiles of the devil. We are presented with the gospel and its depths. We are educated in the ways of the world and the failures of the flesh. We are encouraged to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. We are examined and edified. We are challenged and convicted. And so that is why we do studies of the epistles. The last epistle that we considered... Uh, and I think you'll enjoy this list, I've, I enjoyed looking back over it, were the two epistles of Peter, 
Before that, we studied Philippians. Before that, First and Second Thessalonians. Before that, Colossians. Prior to that, we completed all three of the Johannine epistles. In 2017, we studied through the book of Ephesians. In 2016, we studied through the book of 1 Corinthians. And in 2015, we last considered the book of Galatians. So in March, March through June of 15, we went through the book of Galatians together on a Wednesday night in Bible study. And so this will be um, a repeat, but every time we repeat, we try to set the blade a little deeper and learn a little bit more. Uh, during that time, during those years, we've also studied a complete uh, series through the book of Hebrews, through the book of Revelation, through the book of Jude, and through 1st, 2nd, Timothy, and Titus. So that's, that's fun, isn't it? We've completed a lot of those studies together, and so I praise the Lord for that. Uh, the Lord's directed me towards Galatians. I began praying uh, just right after we started the other relevant social media uh, thing, you know, that Lord, whenever this runs its course, what, what should I do next that would be profitable to the life of the church and to the believer, and Galatians continued to occur, and I think it's because of its dedication to and clarity of the gospel as a spiritual work, or if you'd prefer to say it this way, a work of the Spirit, and what we mean by that is that we could quickly summarize the letter to the Galatians by stating that it is a defense against legalisms or the works-based salvation. And if we wanted to put that more in a nutshell so that we could say, okay, specifically what is the purpose of Galatians, it is probably more correct to say that Paul is defending against a works-based sanctification, which is typically the direction that legalism tends to take. So it's not all that often that you'll run into in an orthodox setting or a, a, a doctrinally correct setting that you'll run into people who will teach or preach or impress upon you that your salvation is works-based. But it is very common for born-again believers to be working in their sanctification and that then turns into a works-based sanctification. And, and by that we mean, uh, you know, the more I do this, the closer to God I become. Or the more I do that, the closer to God I become. Paul would say in chapter 3, verse 3, and you, don't, you can turn there if you'd like, but we're going to look at this in depth over the next few weeks. Paul would say in chapter 3, verse 3, and I'm reading out of or quoting out of the Amplified, but he says, Are you so foolish and so senseless and so silly? Having begun your new life spiritually with the Holy Spirit, are you now reaching perfection by dependence upon the flesh? And so what Paul is saying in that statement is, you were brought to faith by the Spirit of God, by the grace of God, and you will be brought to perfection or maturity or a full sanctification by faith, by the grace of God, by the Spirit of God, not based on anything that you do. I've always been a little put off by legalism. I, it's only, there's only about six of us in here, so we can, we can talk. Have you guys experienced legalism? Do you, 
You ever experienced it much, Brother Larry, Miss Jennifer? Probably, but not doesn't stand out to you necessarily. And, and Brother Scott, you and I, we, we've talked about it. So we have, and, and Carla and I have, and if Robin were with us, she would say that she certainly has. Uh, this, is, this is the thing. Legalism has always been a little off-putting to me, and, and I want to be honest about how it is off-putting, because, and I want to spend time right here for a minute, because I want us to get a full grasp of the problem with legalism. So when, I, when you think about legalism, the, the first things that would pop into your mind, and, and we're going to see it in a different level in the book of Galatians, but you would think dress codes, haircuts, facial hair, right? There was a time in the, in the 70s and 80s that uh, you, didn't, you didn't have a beard like this, or like brother, you didn't have, you didn't have facial hair if you were in the independent Baptist ministry, irrespective of the fact that B.L. Moody had a righteous beard and Charles Spurgeon had a righteous beard, but we had come to a place where there was this idea of separation from what looked to be part of the hippie movement, and, and so the beard became vilified, and the hair length and the hair design became vilified, and, and that you probably think of that, and those things to me... But, and I'm talking about before I was born again, they seemed so hypocritical to me. I always thought, even as a, and I mean, you know, not I wasn't born again, but I've been in church my entire life. I didn't get saved until I was 20, but I knew church language, and I knew church lingo, and I knew preachers, and, and you know, kind of like old Jason Crabb says, I look the part, I fit in with the crowd. Uh, and so it always felt so hypocritical to me because, I was pretty confident that, that the folks doing the judging probably had issues of their own that they weren't focused on. They were rather focused on, you know, maybe it was my issues or somebody I loved or cared about. So I was offended in the flesh. All right, let's say it that way. In the flesh, I was offended. And that's before I was saved. And likewise, even after I was saved, I was saved at 20 years old, uh, but, I, you know, I was no choir boy. Uh, I wasn't a choir boy before I got saved. Uh, I was a typical church kid and typically sneaking around doing things that all the other kids were doing. And, and then at 20, I got saved. Uh, and for about nine months, I walked a pretty tight line. Uh, but it was all self-imposed. There was no discipleship. There was no spiritual growth. And pretty soon, as soon as that particular love interest wasn't a love interest anymore, and I didn't have to go to church in order to see her. I was back out in the world, and for about 10 years, I was bouncing around in the world. So I was born again, but I was walking in the flesh. I was not walking in the spirit. I wasn't growing spiritually. I wasn't in church. So during that time also, I, during the time I was walking obstinate to the Lord, it was a very offensive to my flesh for anybody to put any kind of rule or regulation in front of me that, that seemed to be hypocritical. But then, uh, we, when I was about 30 years old, we, we started, uh, the Lord started working in my life, and I started seeking the Lord's will. And it wasn't a very pretty picture to begin with, but that's what I was doing. And as a family, we began seeking the Lord's will, and, and we started walking a lot closer. And then we got into a good church, and praise the Lord for that. And when we got into that church, we began to be taught, and we began to be discipled, and we began to grow. And, and so there I'm walking there uh, in the spirit rather than the flesh, 
And all of a sudden, some forms of legalism, and Brother Scott, I want you to say amen right here because I know you come up saying, well, I did. Some forms of legalism became very comforting to me. Right? There were things that, that they found their way into my vocabulary almost as easy as other church words. And it was, it was things, and I'm not going to try to be too terribly specific, but Bible versions, you know, that became a real big deal. And, and uh, 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 worship styles, uh, that was a real big deal. The do's and don'ts of the flesh, if you will, you know, uh, you know music, dancing, smoking, drinking, movies, issues of separation, those things, they became kind of comfortable to me because there was a way for me to say, Okay, I used to do that, but I don't do that anymore. That's something that, that I have cleaned up in my life. And, and I would give God the honor and glory for cleaning it up, but I was also taking a little bit of the credit for myself that I had cleaned it up. And I was quite easily noticed if somebody else had not yet cleaned that up. And if, I, if they were having difficulty in their life, and I happened to be uh, their Sunday school teacher, or, or, and I was preaching by then, it found its way into a lot of my sermons, and, and, and I would talk about those things. You know, you need to get away from that. You need to separate yourself from that. And, and it became something that they had to do. It was legalism. It was, it, was a, it was something I was putting on them. Even church attendance and church participation and faithfulness to the ministry, all of those things can become and did for me early in ministry, very legalistic. And, and so, listen, when they're legalistic, they're sinful. And so they're, or at least distracting, but if we want to be honest, simple. And so you have this, this idea of legalism that's out there. And so, and you have these people that are offended in the flesh that you even, you even think that you can tell me how to dress. I, you know, they're offended in the flesh. Then you have this this hyper-righteous over here that they've got their own form of legalism and, and, and you're kind of hung in there trying to find your way. And, and that's really what's going on in the book of Galatians. It's, it's between born-again believers and Judaizers trying to bring them back under the lock of the law and the circumcision and the kosher diet. And, and Paul saying, man, don't go back into that and, and you don't have to do that. And that's the picture, but... There's a danger for us. Now, you and I are not going to deal with, we don't deal with the question of circumcision. Uh, that's a medical thing now, not a spiritual thing. We don't even talk about it, right? And we don't deal with a kosher diet. Uh, it's not something that, that my, I guarantee you my diet's not kosher, so it's not, even, it's not even good. So, you know, it's definitely not kosher. But, but we don't deal with those things uh, and, and we're not dealing with uh, keeping the law. Most of us have grown to a place to where, you know, we never kept the law anyway. It wasn't part of our previous walk. But there are issues of legalism that we deal with. But there's a danger in dismissing just wholesale dismissal of issues of separation as purely legalistic. And, and listen, this is the danger, and, and we see a lot of this. If, if we're not careful, if, if, we, if we just dismiss all things as legalistic, you, you cannot define worship, you cannot define Bible, you cannot define uh, 
you know, dress. And look, we don't legislate morality, but there are things that we see that are proper and things we see that are improper. Paul would say, all things are fit for me, but not all things are good for me. Not everything is expedient. And so if we just, this wholesale dismissal of legalism and, and things as purely legalistic, if we're not careful, we create this pseudo-spirituality. And listen to me, if you, if you pay attention for a minute, you know this. And, and this pseudo-spirituality actually embraces the things of the flesh or makes room for them or even insists upon them in order to prove that we are not living in or practicing legalism. If you think about that for a day or two, I promise you it makes sense. And, and I want to tell you something. Many, many good Christians have been swept up in this fallacy. I think more so in the last 30 to 35 years than at any time in history. And it, it is this picture of everything is okay in moderation. Everything is acceptable as long as I call it spiritual or I, as long as I do my diligence at church and go to church once a week somewhere. Uh, this is a, an example about, I guess it was probably 15 years ago, uh, we were down at Sandy Creek and on staff down there, and Jackson County was trying to pass uh, liquor by the drink in restaurants. I, in fact, I think it, it, may have been, it may have been Jackson, it may have been Jefferson, I don't remember. But we were, was it Jackson County? And... And so a lot of the independent churches, Faith Baptist, Dr. Cudd, and, and Dr. Lawson at White Plains, and, and a lot of these guys were, were banding together, and they were going to the meetings. And, and they, I'm not talking about they were there raising Cain. I mean, they were there presenting a holistic, a faith-based approach to, look, we don't need liquor by the drink in every single restaurant it's not a good thing, and, and they were presenting a Christian viewpoint. There was a pastor at the time, and I'm not going to name him or his church because I want to tell you something. I think he's a good man. Uh, he's a military man. I think he's a good man, and he had a really rough patch in ministry. But he was in ministry at the time, and he went to several of those independent Baptist meetings and vocally said, we should not resist this. We, as the religious community, should not resist this. We should not vocalize our resistance of this. And his argument centered in this don't alienate them line of thinking. He said, if that's what they want to do, we ought to let them do it. And if that's what people want to do, we ought to let them do it. And then we shouldn't even be involved in the politics of it but rather we should just reach the lost in spite of the liquor laws, which, which is true. We should reach the lost in spite of the liquor laws. But that's akin to saying that we shouldn't, as born-again believers, seek anti-abortion legislation because it might alienate an abortionist. It's, it's, the, same, it's the same argument. And so, and it's, it is true that we don't want to alienate anybody, but... Neither do we want to falsely approve of sinful behaviors. And so that's that, that pseudo-spirituality. And, and if you think about it, in that vein of thinking, we've witnessed entire church movements, entire church models that purposefully embrace 
secular music and activities in order to reach the unchurched. And and they they've uh, and and I'm not I'm not exactly picking on them. I'm saying that it is a flawed mentality. But when you when you do everything to make it look like something other than church and sound like something other than church, you are inviting in a particular atmosphere. And so what happens is the church becomes very worldly. And it's, they are embracing things of the flesh and, and making room for them so they can prove there's not a legalism here. There's not a legalistic bone in our body. You come as you are, leave as you were. We don't care. You do whatever. And, and there's, there's a tremendous aspect of come as you are. Everybody ought to be, be that way. We, you, you've never seen us turn anybody away. We're very, we're very casually dressed church we don't do we don't even make people feel any particular way man i don't care but at the same time i'm not going to start dressing a particular way right was it was it tom smiley i probably should not have said his name he'll sue me uh used to pastor up in in gainesville and i forget the name of the church but they did three services and the first service was traditional and the second was uh one of them was caffeinated one of them was decaffeinated and one of them was something else and, and for the first service, he wore a three-piece suit. And for the second service, he lost the vest. And for the third service, he went to a sweater vest with no jacket. And it's the same sermon every time. That's hypocritical. I, you, I'm changing the way I look to try to... That is hypocritical, but it's, it's that idea of let's, let's embrace them, embrace them, embrace them. And, and what's happening is you're attempting to wed light and darkness. And Paul says... Uh, there's no commonality between light and dark. There's no commonality between righteousness and unrighteousness. But if you wed light and darkness, the truth is what you end up with is a murky dusk and nobody can see very well. And so you've not provided light for the lost and you have taken light away from the saints so they can't grow. And, and truthfully, if we want to be completely honest, it's very rare that somebody will be offended or alienated by authenticity. If, if you are, you know, you're a clean-shaven guy and, and above the ear and off the collar and pressed and buttoned down and you're suited up all the time and that's who you really are, people are not going to be offended by that. They're just going to see that's the way you are. And if when you when you're like me, you're a little <laughs> a little less reverent with the with the beard and the, and the clothing, then they, they just see it. That's how that guy is. That's how he is. That's reality. It is authenticity. And and so, if someone refrains from a particular activity because it does not appeal to them, that is. And they do that in an humble and an honest way. That there's no offense taken at that. So the idea is not to abandon righteousness and godliness, which are naturally and antithetically opposed to secularism and worldliness, but rather to embrace them because of our relationship with Christ because of the indwelling Holy Spirit 
in a love response to God so that we're not by our actions attempting to please and impress, but that we are as a result of God and in response to God, no, pardon me, no longer interested in those particular things that are of the flesh or of the world or of Satan. And this is a process. So if you go back to 2002, if you could go back to 2002 and talk to me, uh, you would come out and say, that guy's a legalist. I guarantee you, you would come out and say, that guy is a legalist. And I was. The Holy Spirit grew me out of it because it is a process of uh, uh, progressive sanctification. And so there's a lot of the same things that I quote unquote don't do now that I wouldn't do then, but I don't look at other people that do them and think there's an issue there because I know that person progressively is in a different place than me. And so I'm looking to line up with the scripture. And so uh, we're not by our actions trying to please or impress God. We're just not interested in certain things anymore. And as we grow in grace and knowledge, grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, we realize that these things are no longer edifying or enjoyable or so we simply just refrain from them. Um, another example is... So I was a heavy smoker, two-pack-a-day cigarette smoker, and, and not, not just, I mean, I was a tobacco fiend, so I chewed, I dipped, I smoked, I, whatever was convenient for wherever I was at, that's what I did. And uh, this is after, this is after, not only was I born again, but to this point, I'm 31 years old, and I'm in the church, I'm, I'm working with the teens, uh, I had... Uh, desires that I believe were God-given of, of a teen camp or, or, or something along those lines, how we end up with NGM for all those years. I was very, very much motivated in the ministry, and I was still very much a smoker. And uh, I, I, I've got a Bible in my office that's got a cigarette burn in it. It's in the book of Romans, because that's where I was studying that night. And I was sitting in Waffle House one day with my dad, and just got through eating. It's back in the day when you could smoke in a restaurant, and I lit up a cigarette. And I remember taking a draw off that cigarette, and I said to Dad, I really think the Lord's calling me into the youth work. And it was the first time in 31 years, and specifically in about two years of being in church, that the audacity and, and, and the silliness of that whole thing spoke in my mind and I thought how can you be a youth pastor you smoke two packs a day you're not a, you can't lead teenagers you can't even, you can't you're not even clean yourself you're you're addicted to nicotine and controlled by it and within a week or two it was over with and that was nobody beat me over the head now nobody knew I smoked I hit it uh, That's not legalism. So if I say, 
you know, I don't smoke uh, because the Holy Spirit moved in my heart and it made me not want to smoke anymore. That's not a legalistic thing. That's a progressive growth thing. And, and so we, we, we see that, that picture of growing and it's not in order to become more righteous or to ensure our salvation, but rather because we have been saved by a righteous God and we're indwelt by His Holy Spirit. So it's not to become, but because. That's what Paul's going to teach us in the book of Galatians. It's not about these outward activities. It is about the inward and the growth. As we uh, think about this, it provides clarity for why I do or do not participate in certain things. And the Apostle Paul is going to clarify for us that we're not becoming more and more sanctified by works of the flesh. So if I go back again in my testimony, and look, I'm more than happy to talk about your testimony because I hate talking about my own, but if I go back in my own testimony and I say, well, you know, I've been serving the Lord, uh, been walking closely with the Lord for about 21 years now, uh, and, and I'm different today than I was then, that's not any of my doing. It, 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 the doing is that I was obedient to the Lord and committed myself to the Holy Spirit and studied the Word of God and obeyed what I read. But I didn't do any of those things to become better. Those things were done in my life by the blessed Holy Spirit of God and that is moving me towards closer to the image of Christ. And we have millions and millions of miles to go, but that's what we're looking at. So it's not that a work of the flesh, but rather it is a continuation of the work of grace in our lives so that I'm not becoming more Christ-like because I don't drink, smoke, and chew or go with girls that do, but it's because that would be, because that would be a work of the flesh that I perform. However, as I continue to grow in the grace of God, and he progressively cleanses and sanctifies me, I no longer desire certain things. And it may take years for some of those things to go away. Uh, there's a pruning that takes place. There's a pruning that God does. There's a pruning that we do. And, and we have to, to work in that way. But it's not to become righteous. It's because we have been made righteous by the finished work of the cross. So... That's the direction that this study is going to go. It's not going to be all talking about cigarettes and rock and roll music. It, it is going to be talking about the idea of what is the gospel, how do we become born again, and then how are we sanctified. And we are sanctified by the same process which we are born again, by the grace of God, through the blessed Holy Spirit of God. And it is a process. So I want to give you three quick things. This five minutes and 44 seconds, and I'll be done. The author uh, tells us in chapter 1, verse 1, that Paul is the author. Uh, this is Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus. He was the persecutor of the way. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees of the tribe of Benjamin. He was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. He, respecting the law, he was perfect, but he counted all of those things but dung. So this is the man who was a blasphemer and injurious. He calls himself the chiefest of sinners, but he is also called the Apostle of Grace and the Apostle to the Gentiles. And so the Apostle Paul understands grace and law 
and the reconciliation of the two of them better than anyone. And so it behooves us to study his work. His authority, it tells us that he is an apostle, not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ. He was called as an apostle by the Lord himself on the road to Damascus. He wasn't picked by men, for men. Rather, he was picked by God for the church. And uh, part of the, uh, the qualifications of an apostle was you had to see the resurrected Lord. And so Paul would, Paul would spend an entire life defending his apostleship, but he saw the resurrected Lord on the road to Damascus. And he was called personally by that resurrected Lord. And so he, his authority is he is the apostle. Uh, and then his audience, and uh, these are the churches at Galatia. And so I want you to think about this for a minute, and I believe this helps us, helps us uh, to, to uh, relate. If we read the letter to the Ephesians, we read the book of Ephesians, we're reading a letter written to the church at Ephesus, Ephesian people. And that church had its own personality, had its own problems, and we're thinking in a singular form. That's true with the letter, the Philippian letter. That is true with the Corinthian letter. That is true with the Thessalonian letter. And that is true to the, with the letter to the Colossians. Each of those churches had their own reputation. They had their own personality. They had a problem or their own problems. But when we consider the letter to the Galatians, we're considering a people, a region, Likely several churches. Paul mentions Lystra, Iconium, Derbe, Antioch, and Pisidia. All of those are in the region of Galatia. And so this letter would have went to all of those churches because all of those churches were being affected by the same band of Judaizers that were going around and disrupting the gospel or teaching them another gospel, which is not a gospel. And so we're considering uh, this this region or this group of people who are experiencing the same problem and the problem is false teachers propagating a false doctrine and that is leading to real confusion. So maybe I'm wrong, but I feel as if we can identify with that letter more readily. We also would consider the people themselves. And this letter is addressed to uh, Gaelic Celts. These are uh, basically European folk uh, they would have been uh, the same people that inhabited uh, France, uh, and uh, they would have come over, and uh, you can read some of that history, but they're European race, and they came over through the Iron Age and infiltrated Asia Minor and just took what they wanted. M more applicable to us than their origin, right? but that's applicable because that's who we are. <laughs> We're a European race. Uh, but more applicable than that is their temperament. So these uh, Celts, these Gaelic Celts, had much of the same temperament and characteristics of the American population. Uh, Caesar said of these people, the infirmity of the Gauls is that they are fickle in their resolve, fond of change, and not to be trusted. Another person of import described them as frank, impetuous, and impressionable, eminently, eminently intelligent, fond of show, but extremely inconstant, the fruit of excessive vanity. Now, you don't have stretched those adjectives very much, and you'd think you were talking about Americans. Sounds very, very similar. 
to showcase that temperament, and we'll be finished, turn back to the book of Acts, chapter 14. And I want to show you this real quick, and I'm trying to do it as quickly as possible. Acts chapter 14, and starting in verse 8, they're in, they're in the region of Galatia preaching. This is Paul and Barnabas. And there sat a man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. The same heard Paul speak who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped up and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in speech of Laconia, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands unto the gate and would have done sacrifice with the people, which when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of that, they rent their clothes and ran among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We are also men of like passions with you, and preach unto you that you should turn from those vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, nevertheless he left not himself without witness, in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and the fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And when these sayings scarce restrained the people that they had not done, sacrifice unto them. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who pers persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, they drew him out of the city supposing he'd been dead. I want you to get a picture of that in your mind. There's Paul and Barnabas <clears throat> among these Galatians preaching. Paul sees this impotent guy. He says, you know, I think that dude right there has got the faith to be healed. Commands him to be healed. He's healed. Everybody loses their mind. <clears throat> Let's worship these guys. This is Jupiter and Mercury. Paul and Barnabas said, no, no, no. No, we're guys just like you. We serve the true and living God. And they stoned him. So they went from, he went from a hero to being stoned. And literally, probably stoned to the point of death. Because Paul would later tell a story about how he went up into the heavens. And uh, they drug him out of town, stoned him. And in a little while, he woke up and got up. And they went back into town. Uh, that kind of gives you an idea of the, the temperament of these Galatians. And I want you to think about uh, the fervor and support that we, Americans, show for people and then turn on them. And then we're back on their side. And just think about, the, think about a president. And we, we're all in. And then 15 years later, we don't even know his name. Or somebody's tried to assassinate him. They're fickle people. And we are a fickle people. And so I believe that as we study this over the next several Wednesdays, Wednesdays that we can remind, be reminded that we serve 
because rather than to become. So I hope you'll study with me. Next week we'll pick up in verse 3 and move into the doctrinal format of the book. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this good night. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to begin this new study. Lord, I pray you'd bless us and uh, give us, Father, the ability to uh, open this book and see truths and apply them and walk according to them. Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.